Make sure your kitchen's ready to cook before turning on the heat. Welcome to Service Calls, a podcast brought to you by Heritage Parts in partnership with Food Service Equipment Report. Each month, we talk to experts and service techs to bring you the latest news and tips for use in the field. I'm Rob LaFrenz, and in this episode, we talk with one tech whose advice was met with an icy thanks but no thanks and tips on successfully balancing work and life priorities. But first, let's say hello to Food Service Equipment Reports Managing Editor, Allison Resendiz. Hey, Allison. Hi, Rob. How are you doing today? I'm good, thanks. And we're going to get started talking about some best practices for a successful install. On the phone from Georgia, we're talking to owner and CEO of Pierce Parts and Service and former Cefesa president, Joe Pierce. Joe, first, could you tell us a little bit about the scope of install services you offer at Pierce Parts and Service? We're a level three installer. That means that we can do fabrication, uh, we can do set in place, and we can actually do some uh, fabrication on, on site. Also, it really involves all three disciplines. Joe, what prep work do service techs need to complete prior to an equipment install? It seems to be a pretty obvious question, but you, many times it's, it's so overlooked. They need to know exactly what they're being asked to install um, because a lot of service companies are just in the mindset I can put anything in or install anything, but when they get out there, they find out that the site has not really been set up to accept the kind of equipment that, that they've been asked to install. So, as well as understanding what the spec is of the piece of equipment, because a lot of this equipment in, in today's world really comes with some pretty stringent uh, specs on it that it won't operate properly unless all these specs are met. So with that in mind, what kind of questions do they need to ask operators ahead of the big day? Sure. Uh, has anybody uh, taking the first step to verify the voltages or the utilities that are going to be required to install the piece of equipment? It happens so frequently. They think that they're buying a gas appliance, but in reality, what they're receiving is an electrical appliance. So as simple as that seems, or common sense as it says, you'll be surprised how many uh, times this is overlooked. So reviewing with the customer so he understands exactly what he has purchased and that he's done his preparation and ready to accept the appliance coming in. To even add to that, many times a step that's overlooked many, many, many times is the accessibility to the installation site. They'll order a piece of equipment because it looks good and meets all their criteria, but it won't fit in the back door. So in many cases, uh, the piece of equipment is just not has to be taken apart just to get it inside the door, or in, in some cases, it, it's impossible for it to come in the back door to be installed. So it sounds like there's plenty of conversation going on, but when it comes to putting things in a contract, what makes a good contract? What should it address? The site readiness, number one. Uh, number two, an understanding of the piece of equipment that's being installed. Number three, uh, a verification that all the utilities are within spec of the appliance that's going to be hooked up. Many times, the customer doesn't understand that this equipment has specifications that for it to operate properly, the right amount of gas volume or, or gas pressure coming into their building, whether it is LP or natural gas. The, the, these are points that in many cases are overlooked. So the contract should spell out very clearly that everybody's done their due diligence, either from the operator side 
or from the service provider side that any return trips other than the initial site visit will be an additional you know, surcharge added back or change order added back to the uh, the customer if this criteria is not met. So say we do everything we can do. We do our due diligence. We ask all the right questions. We get the contract. It's all signed. But there's always going to be some, you know, classic hiccups when it comes to uh, installs. Can you give us, uh, you know, some advice on how to avoid them? Well, having good communication with the owner or operator uh, to let them know that certain things, uh, as much as readiness as we try to do uh, in trying to prepare, anytime there's hidden obstacles, there has to be an open line of communication that these are unforeseen circumstances that were unpredictable. Because many times if you're taking down a wall or you're moving equipment around, even with as much prep work as you do, sometimes you think that you have everything uh, lined up and, and things come up that there has to be an open communication where they understand that anything that's not that wasn't discovered during the initial site visit will be an additional um, change order and to be built on separate invoice. Communication is key, I'm sure. Um, but what are some important steps for techs to follow after the install? Well, it's a verification that, number one, that, and it's, it seems simple, but it's in many cases it's overlooked. Make sure the appliance is set up and it's in a level position. It can create a lot of um, uh, installation issues down the road uh, if it's not set up properly. The next thing that needs to be done as a follow-up uh, is making sure that the consumer or, or the operator or the person in charge of the uh, kitchen making sure that they're properly trained um, in the usage of the piece of equipment. Many times we get um, phone calls after we've installed a piece of equipment saying, this appliance is not working. So we'll dispatch somebody out there, and once we get out there, uh, the, piece, the appliance is working properly. It's just the customer sent a new staff person in there that wasn't trained, and in turn, they were using it in a way that the appliance wasn't designed to be used. And you made this point to me when we were talking before. Uh, this equipment is high-end stuff. It's kind of like a, you know, like a, a high-end sports car. It needs to be maintained. It needs to be tuned up. I think one of the things that's missed many times after we've done, we've done our part as far as installing it, uh, giving the customer instructions on how to use it, uh, is also doing a follow-up, making sure that the customer understands that this equipment requires maintenance. Maintenance is a key component for the longevity of the appliance and making sure he understands what he can do on his side and what he needs to bring in to have a professional do. So that's a missed point that happens many, many, many installs. The customer automatically assumes it's put in there that it's going to run. It doesn't require any type of support or maintenance to be provided. And that's just a, you know, a misstep that many consumers make. Those are great tips, Joe. Thank you. Yeah, they were. Thanks, Joe. That was owner and CEO of Pierce Parts and Service, Joe Pierce. Next up, it's From the Field. And on the phone from Rochester, New York, it's Duffy's AIS CEO, Wayne Stoutner. And Wayne, you found yourself installing a high-end hood system in a restaurant, but the owner was still trying to cut some corners to save some dough. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, this restaurant was a, a, a tavern um, serving mainly a higher-end bar menu in a college town. And uh, like a lot of people, they're trying to stay within their budget of the construction. And ultimately, he decided not to go with a heated makeup air system, thinking that uh, 
the kitchen would be plenty hot enough and he wouldn't need to be heating the makeup air. So what did you recommend and what was the operator's response? Well, we've done a lot of installs over the years and, and we've run into this similar situation. And, you know, uh, most restaurateurs will tell you that kitchens can be very hot. And, and uh, a lot of times they'll suggest, hey, we don't need to heat this air because the kitchen is so hot. We'll welcome the very cold air. But uh, uh, the experience we've had is when that happens, people uh, are not happy with their system and ultimately uh, decide to either not run the makeup air at all or decide to, to install heat. Uh, at that time, we suggested he install the heated heater module, and he, did, he declined. So why was the conditioned makeup air system so important in this restaurant? Well, being in upstate New York, you get the, you know, the fall weather is one thing when you get the, you know, the, the 40 and 50 degree air. But you know, as soon as you get to the winter months with January, February, and you start to get temperatures that, you know, sometimes are zero degrees or below zero or, or even hovering, you know, it's like, you know, anytime it's freezing or below, the operators, the cooks, the chefs, everybody working under the hood um, is getting that that makeup air poured down their back, essentially, and um, standing in front of a hot cook line with freezing cold air blowing down your back is uh, is, is you know is, is not comfortable. So as it'll do, the temperature dropped, and as you expected, you got a call right away. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about what his uh, complaint was and what you did to help him out? Yeah, it was a little bit surprising. It was a, it was a, the call actually happened around this time of the year in the fall. It was a, a late October, and it was maybe a little colder than normally. And and uh, he called, you know, in late October, and we just finished the install probably three months prior to that. And he said right away, "Hey, this you are you are correct. It is very uncomfortable. My cooks are complaining. Right. <laughs> it's a it's it's an issue. And uh, and what can we do about it?" So, what did you do to help him out? Well, we, uh, we, we had already had the information from when we spoke a few months back and we, we presented the, uh, the quote to them to install a heater module um, to this particular system. Uh, we were able to do that, but unfortunately, because the project had already, the, the kitchen was already open and he was, he was serving food, there were a couple things had to happen. He did have to shut down for a, a few days. He had to get a plumber in there to run a gas line to the, uh, to the new unit. Um, he, there was some electrical work that had to be done, but ultimately it cost quite a bit more to install that here, that heated system on the back end when it could have been done up front. Uh, we did install the system and got him up and running and he was able to, uh, able to serve his customers and, and his employees were happy as well. One of those cases of the, what is it? Penny wise, pound foolish type of thing. Yeah. F- yeah, for sure. I, I think I, you know, I think ultimately, again, he was trying to stay within budget. He had the right idea, and um, and it just just in the end didn't really work out in his favor. And and yeah, that's usually the case. You know, it's expensive to run a kitchen, and everybody's looking to uh, you know save a, a few bucks here and there. What advice do you have for service agents when they're dealing with a customer who's looking to you know manage his budget? I think the best thing you can do is just give them all the options. Um, you know, make them aware of your experiences. In this case, I think we maybe could have alleviated the issue of it had I reached out to some former customers that went a similar route. Um, I would say if this happens in the future, I certainly could reach out to this gentleman and he would he would help recommend the uh, the the installation of something like that up front. Right, and people don't think about that all the time. Uh, you know, talk to somebody else who's been in the situation and see what they did. Right, exactly, and and I and I can assure you that his his decision in hindsight would have been exactly the opposite. And and I, I also try to 
when speaking with these uh, operators that are, are, you know, just opening a new restaurant, you, you have to kind of look at these things in a 20 or 30 year scenario. Um, you know, you're not building this place to be open a year or two. So when you're spending the money, it's an investment, but it's a, it's an investment over 30 years, not an investment over one or two years. Great advice, and thanks a lot. That was Duffy's AIS CEO, Wayne Stoutner. Next up, let's talk nuts and bolts. In this segment, we get tips from techs like you who spend their days in the field. And you know, like the restaurants you service, the hours can be grueling. So we asked what you do to balance your work life with your personal life. Hello, everyone. This is Bob McCullough of Smart Care Equipment Solutions. Uh, boy, work-life balance, that's that's a tough one, but it, it can be tough, but it's really not. So one of the things you want to remember is, is whatever happens at work, you leave at work. When you go home, you're going to spend more time once you get out of that van of, hey, I am now home, family, friends, work is work. The more you separate yourself, the more work-life balance you're going to end up having. Next up, let's go to Mesquite, Texas, for the president of Refrigerated Specialist, Inc., Scott Hester. Regarding work-life balance for the technician, one should be careful what you say yes to at work and at home because being out of balance is usually from saying yes too much. Second, be sure and maintain your hydration, nourishment, rested and fit for duty from day to day, week to week, so you don't burn yourself out. And third would be my 24 years in the field was taking care of self, was also good communication up and down the chain of command so that the demands of work didn't get out of place with your own personal expectations. And D.C. Area Refrigeration Service Supervisor Don Jones wrote to us and said, Balancing work and life priorities is a challenge for service techs, especially when you're on call. For me, I fill out a calendar as soon as the on-call schedule is posted and try not to plan activities with my family as far as vacations or long trips or anything like that. And I tell my wife and kids when my week is coming up. A big shout-out to the ones that can take calls for another tech last minute when an emergency comes up. Thanks to a colleague of mine for voicing up Don's response there. Do you have any tips or hacks to share with your fellow techs? If you do, write us an email or record a voice memo on your phone and send it along to servicecalls at fermag.com. And that's it for this episode of Service Calls, brought to you by Heritage Parts in partnership with Food Service Equipment Reports. We'll be back next month, so be sure to follow and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I'm Rob LaFrance.